Okay, so hello folks, welcome back to the Bishop PE Podcast. We're absolutely delighted to have very experienced Scottish professional footballer Mark Reynolds with us. Um, thank you for, for joining us, Mark. No problem, thanks for having me. And we've also got our usual Mr McHugh. That's Mark Green, as always, I can see. Mr Molesdale chinned me for the old Adidas gear, so I thought I'd better change Adidas. Hey, there's nothing wrong with Adidas as long as it's, bright, it's light blue, then you're all right. <laughs> I've also got senior pupil Ellie Reid. Hello, Ellie. Hi. How was Hi. school today? Uh, yeah, it was fine. It's you said right. that you dodged Mr. McHugh. He's not teaching you anymore, so you've won yeah. a watch there. Yeah. We must, we must, say, we must say, Ellie, with the nice blue prefect blazer as well. Come on. Oh, she's yeah. looking, looking tremendous. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, so I'll kick us off with the first question then, Matt. So, how did you find your career at school? So, how was your school days? Aye, so I was, aye, I'm one of the, the rare exceptions of football, so I actually done very well at school. Right. I was, uh, I get five A's in my hires. Oh, right. right. So I, I done, uh, I done eight standard grades, eight ones, and then done eight, five hires, got five A's, and was kind of dipping in out of model as well. So I was, um, I went to see my careers advisor in fifth year, and uh, kind of had a, a 45 minute, I'm not believing that I didn't want to go to university and was, was going to play football, so. I was I I really enjoyed school like um, and I'd say I'd done really well in it so like school was I'd always say it's the best days of your life but it was for me it was great and um, I, I it was something that my dad was a teacher he was a PE teacher he's all the best guys are PE teachers so <laughs> good company here thanks Ian and uh, he he always said to me he was a coach he still coaches at Motherwell he coached when I was younger and. Uh, he always said, no, look, if you want to make a career out of football, it's, like, it's, it's a very volatile career. Um, you really need a plan B. Yeah. So, look, stick in, get your grades. He's like, you get your hires, you get your standard grades. He says, they'll stay with you the rest of your life. Yeah. And uh, then you can have a crack at football. And uh, he says, if that doesn't work out, you've at least got something to fall back on. So, I stayed, as I said, done my five hires, got my A's. And actually, opened, got my, well, my dad opened them up when I was, I was doing a pre-season. My first pre-season was a professional when the exam results dropped through the door. I know they were a bit different this year, getting dropped through, but the, the letter came through and, and my dad read the results. And at that, at that time, it was kind of just on a back burner for maybe even later on. Yeah. So that was, that was kind of my school career early on. Right. And was that sixth year you stayed on to, or was it just fifth year? Just fifth year. So fifth right. year, so again, that was kind of the plan. Well, it was kind of like, I, the, the master plan looked back to it and it all kind of fell into place quite well. That My dad had said that, look, your pals are going to stay on and do a sixth year. Um, says you can go and have a crack like a couple of years and you know what I mean you could effectively do a six year and have a year out mm-hmm. and then join um, go back to university at the same time as all these all your pals like, or you can have two years of football and see how you're doing and I mean I've been on record before and in interviews I've done as a, as a kind of younger professional and said you know if I hadn't worked out in those first two years I was quite prepared to walk away um, and go and, and go to university and I'd already I'd applied at the time to go and study at Glasgow Cali and, and uh, the Strathclyde in Glasgow I just, was just going to uh, study physics and maths, so I kind of been accepted and, and knocked that back or postponed it. So that was a plan for me, kind of go and see how football went. And if, if I hadn't broken through the first team in eight two years, then then it was going to be kind of walk away and, and just have football as a hobby, it's something I'd always loved doing, and, and focus on a career and something else. Yeah, a bit of a, a, bit of a genius, then, Mark. <laughs> physics and maths. I, I don't know, right? You know what? My dad's a PE teacher, and he told me not to do PE as a hire, so I never even took PE as a hire. Uh, <laughs> Don't say that. I know. <laughs> hey, we'll need to edit that one out, Mark. We can't have that in here. 
You know what? That was that was back in the day. You know, like because and that was from having on kill me for saying this. But like back in the day, P used to be kind of frowned upon, and it was uh, some universal accepted. I know it's changed now, and it's it's a it's uh, it's, it's just, it stands alone as as good as any other subject. But he kind of and he kind of said, look, you just you're a stronger other one to so do that. And I think as well for me, the focus for the P, I was training three days a week, or sometimes four. And uh, P, as you know, there's a lot into P, and, and you're kind of all the time and. There was times in, in my standard AP where I was missing four and five sessions and I'd have a bust ankle or something happened at the weekend or had a big game coming up and didn't want to get injured. So there was that kind of balancing act as well that obviously played a big part as well in, in not doing the PE. So I had done the, the chemistry and physics and maths. So I enjoyed the sciences, languages I was terrible at. My kids, my, my two kids in P1 and P4, and I still struggle with nouns and verbs and stuff. And I got an A in higher English, so I don't know. <laughs> How I managed that. <laughs> right, you should see when we get a cover class in English or maths. Hey, Mr. McHugh. Uh, listen, no they have got no chance, do they? It's no worth me turning up. No, no, I've got my next question. No, so, favourite, favourite subjects, and I think you touched on it, Mark, but what would be your favourite subjects in school? Aye, so for me, as I said there, just kind of anything that wasn't to do with a language. So, I mean, like the French, Spanish, and even geography. As long as it's a black white answer for me, I was happy. But kind of chemistry, physics, and maths, you were either right or you were wrong. And, and I used to have some great conversations with my English teacher or my modern studies teachers about how it was a wee bit right, but a wee bit wrong. But then I, it, it just, I just didn't enjoy that part. I just enjoyed if it was two out of two's form. For me, that's fine. There's no other answer to that question. So that was that was always the kind of the thing for me. So I I was a man of the sciences rather than the languages or, or anything else like that. Right. And did you have any influential kind of role models, teachers that maybe you looked up to or gave you a helping hand? I think. Well, again, I my dad was he was obviously a big influence. Yeah. He was a teacher, MPE teacher, and I, I mean, through as I'm sure as you guys know, my, my dad PE teachers are pretty much good at everything. They, 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 they dabble in most sports, so. My dad used to give an absolute doing it, everything. So I think that was from a young age getting competitive. And we went, we used to go and play squash, and he beat us 21 0 up until I was about 15. Then I started getting a point. So even just that, that kind of competitive edge in me is something that I've always had. And even now, I'll go out and play football in the garden with my kids, and we'll play next goal wins. And I always make sure I still score that goal. And uh, they need to learn how to be, to be good losers as well as good winners. But and even, again, even my PE teachers in high school as well, I'd missed my night. Mr. Friel just left, and uh, I mean they were they were kind of. Mr. Knight was a Scottish internationalist um, table tennis player, so he used to batter at that, and even like badminton tennis and stuff. So it was just I, I, I for as much as no doing the higher PE, I, that was always what I enjoyed going and, and competing, and as I say, getting the grades in school was just something that kind of tick a box. Mark, do you do you tackle the wings at the back? You see, do you tackle on a Saturday? I don't like tackling. <laughs> I'm, uh, it's not this modern football. I like intercepting now. I'm, uh, I'm not all that close. I, I just nick in. I was, I was always quick. I'm lucky I'm still quick. So I just like to nick in and nick out. It's, uh, you've only got one body, so I'm not happy putting these. these uh, as I say, I'm a man of science. I know what happens when these two forces collide into each other. So I'm not interested in that. <laughs> Good answer. I like that. I like me to take up that, by the way. I know. I'm so made of chocolate. I'm old injured. Um, right, I think that's question me. Um, could you tell us a wee bit about your journey into football and how that came about early on? 
So I, so I was, I was always kind of, I wanted the kind of better players at, at my age group, and I always kind of enjoyed playing football. As I say, my dad was a PE teacher. He played, um, he blew his knee out years ago. He played at Queens Park, and he ruptured his knee. And kind of back in the day, when they didn't go and fix it, they just kind of remove. I was broken, so he was always heavily involved in in, uh, in football. Um, and I had two older brothers who again loved playing football, and I was the youngest of the three of them. So I was just always kind of out the back playing, or playing with them, playing with my friends, and. I think I kind of at a young age I kind of realised that I was pretty good and and uh, get scouted on a few teams and at the time I played in a, a kind of it was before pro youth they had kind of like satellite teams all across Scotland and I played for a Hibs team that was based out of Hamilton um, and it was a, a guy you probably all know guy Stephen Fletcher was the striker who's went on and had a great career and an Ash Scottish internationalist so there was uh, me and him boy Jamie McCluskey who went on and had a decent career at, at Dundee and, and all teams there was, there was four or five years in that team who I went on to do something in football and I uh, played for them until I was about 12, 13 and then they kind of, the pro youth set up and kind of kicked in and then the satellite teams disbanded and Hibs kind of attracted all their satellite teams into Edinburgh and uh, Motherwell approached our kind of team and said look we'd be happy to overuse as, as our pro youth and, and that'll be our age group. So I, I went with them, I think um, Stephen Fletcher and Jamie McCluskey, they went on to Hibs and both went and played top team football and Fletch ended up getting sold there for four, four and a half million or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went on to Motherwell and stayed there right through to, to the first team. So I, again, I had a couple of teams kind of sniffing about Celtic and Rangers when you're younger as, as most kind of decent players have. Um, I was always happy at Motherwell, it was just around the corner when I was a Motherwell boy, um, enjoying my football. and. There was a there was a chance to kind of break into the first team. I could see a path right out of that first team. So now I went there and, and played, as I say, from twelve right through to probably so many Sheffield Wednesday, I think twenty two, twenty three. And uh, I just kind of but went right through. There was always as I say, it was always pro use. So you were always competing against guys that I was I mean, I was lucky enough to be involved in Scotland setups and guys like Graham Doran, Robert Snodgrass were all guys who were all kicking about the same age that you always kind of bumped into in, in the, the pro youth team. So I just went right through that, um, and again, probably not until fifth year, but, um, but when I was doing my hires, and it, it was kind of a fourth, fifth year, they started asking about careers and what you want to do, and I'd never really thought about football as a career, I'd always knew I'd enjoy it, and I'd always kind of thought I'd love to do that, but never really thought, no, I'm definitely do it, and it wasn't until I, I kind of see this chat with my dad and thought, you know what, I'll probably give this a go if I get the chance, and as I say, the earlier mother offered me a, a, a contract to go into two years full time. And I said to my dad, look, I'll, I'll take that. And if I'm not playing by the end of the two years, then um, I'm going to just leave it and go to uni. And uh, football will just become almost a hobby again. And, and I'll pick it up part-time and just dip in and out of it. And luckily, on the, the May, just before the, the second kind of year of my contract, I made my debut against Livingston at Almondville. I think we won 1-0. Played left wing, chinky left winger. But it's just <laughs> never seen the, the light of days again. Um, I think at one point I was described as Danger Man Reynolds in the paper because I cut out, all, cut out all the, the reports from the game and kept them. And uh, yeah, played that game. And, and then that summer, we called up for the Scotland under-19s. They went to Poland. We got to final, playing in Spain. And we're beating the final. And uh, come back from that trip. And the season was about three or four games old by the time we got back. And there was three centre-halves that got injured. And the, the fourth centre half was about the youth team and me. He then got injured, and we were short of your centre half cover. And I had and all the attributes, and they dipped in and out of there at pre season. And they put me in. And uh, I think of the next, the, the, the next kind of 220 games that Motherwell played, I played 210 of them. And then after that, I was off to Sheffield Wednesday. And that was, I, that was kind of my 
football journey from young to high getting on. Okay, excellent, excellent. I think Ellie, you're up. Thank you, Pat. Okay. Uh, when you were younger, did you have any part-time jobs? And if you did, did they teach you any skills that you've used in your professional career? So I was, I, I mean, I had very limited real-world experience. And my dad always says that to me. I've never had a real job in my life. It's, uh, I've just managed to make a living at my hobby. I, my brother's the paper round, and I've done it. Um, for them a, a few times and uh, I like to think I've done it for a good few years but they always remind me that I've probably done it once or twice if I was lucky but um, no I was I was just kind of always in football and um, kind of luckily enough the level of football that I played any spare time I had I was in even I mean I know in, in, uh, I don't know if you still do it in third or fourth year where you go your work experience and you go to somebody's work and you get a week my work experience was model I went in and trained full time for a week with the first team right. and uh, that would kind of just live and breathe football. I mean, even, as I say, I'd done five hires and uh, I was training Monday night from five to nine, Tuesday night, five to nine, Thursday night, five to nine. We'd sprint technique on a Friday and then played on the Sunday and then trying to fit five hires in with that as well. So football was, was kind of always my job. It was always a thing that I'd done in my spare time. And apart from kind of pretending to be a, a paper boy for a few days a week, I was... I was uh, lucky or unlucky not to have a chance to go experience other things but um, I mean since since then I've uh, I went to you know I went to university um, up my Aberdeen part-time to Robert Gordon and uh, last summer I graduated with a, a bachelor's in engineering bachelor's degree in mechanical and offshore engineering so um, I've done a bit of work experience since then um, but now I, I, I was lucky, lucky enough at Aberdeen that a lot of the sponsors are uh, kind of well-connected guys in, in the oil and gas industry and uh, got in tow with a few guys from BP and a company called Exodus who are all kind of guys that work in and out of the oil and gas industry, engineering. And uh, they, on my days off internationally, because I was going to work in the office for the odd day and, and get my experience actually wearing a shirt and tie and, and seeing what a proper job is. So that's, that's about as much real-world experience as I've had. So is, is that your plan then, Mark, after maybe you finish up playing football? Or are you planning on going to career then in engineering? Again, I think for me, it's kind of something, again, something that I can always tell the younger boys coming through that you need to just have options, just yeah. as many options as you can. Um, I mean, like, when you go old, I mean, I'm 33, still relatively young, but in football, that's an old man. I mean, I'm, so say I'm the only guy in my changing room that's, that was born in the 1980s. Like, I've got guys born in kind of 2005 playing in the team, which is, is crazy for me. So, I've went from being 17, 18 year old and have my full career ahead of me being the, the kind of senior one in the changing room with two kids. So kind of given that experience, you just have, have options. And for me, it's, I've got that option of I always knew I wanted to do something. And when my school, as I said earlier, I was good at school, I got good grades, and managed to go to university and get a degree. And it, it's an option, I'll go and do my coaching badges, that's kind of on the list to do next. And yeah. just to see what it takes me so that when I get to 35, 36, or hopefully 38, 39, and it comes time to actually retire, I've got three or four different things and, and I've got the luxury of hopefully choosing what's next for me and not kind of being sure I'm into doing something because I've not used my time wisely enough and I've not given myself options. I think it's, certainly, it's something that's certainly become a bit more prominent. I think I've seen on Twitter as the PFA have, have, have put up certain courses. Is that right? Yeah, no, they do. They're, 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 I mean, they're still they're getting there in terms of what they're doing. They, they could still, for me, be a lot better and more proactive in it. I mean, in terms of even guys in Scotland who have had very successful careers, they're still going to need to have a career after football and uh, 
it's just that you know we've got. I mean, Craig Brown was was a, was my manager mother when he took me to Aberdeen, and, and his favourite thing to tell us was, I mean, he says you always ask, I always go to schools and ask kids what's one thing footballers have all got. He's like, and the kids always shout money. He's like, and I think they've got more than money's time. He's like, they've got so much time you wouldn't believe. I mean, a, a full day's training for me is report for half nine for a ten half ten start, and a long day for me I'm finished by two half two. You know what I mean? That's in, in the real world. And I mean, the, the times when I've got mocked for at DP or at Exodus at Aberdeen, I mean, we're in, it, in the opposite eight and you're finishing at five, six or four. Mm-hmm. So, you've got loads of time. That's what he says. He says, well, you've got it. He says, you know, put it, put it to good use. And, uh, and that's what I've done with, with kind of that. So, there, there's, uh, there is a lot of guys now kind of realising that. I mean, there's Aberdeen, Shea Logan, the right back at Aberdeen. And now he went and done an apprenticeship in plumbing. He's a fully qualified plumber and kind of heating engineer. Um, Joe Roos, the goal at Aberdeen, is uh, got a degree in business management. So there's a, there is a lot of guys dipping in and out. There's a lot of guys doing PT courses, become personal trainers, guys doing a coaching badges. So no, it is something that more people are thinking about and realising that, again, it, it's better having options and, and using your time wisely and, and uh, having a couple of strings to your bow as opposed to just focusing on one thing. Absolutely. Brilliant. Brilliant. I think we're moving on to your professional career earlier. I think you've got another question, haven't you? Uh, yeah. What has your prof- professional career journey been like? So, so, I mean, f- pretty good. I mean, I think if you, I, I was lucky enough last season to hit 500 professional games, which is a huge milestone, and, and I one that I'm very proud of managing to get to. So, it's, uh, I mean, for me, it's, it's been great. There's been a few bumps in the road, a um, few bits not so good, but kind of, it's, it's kind of say everything that happens gets to, to where you are. So, I was, uh, I, as I said earlier, I started model and then they sold me to Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and I went down there for two or three seasons. And I, was, I mean, that was probably the, the hardest or worst part of my career. It, it never really worked at all. The, uh, the manager that signed me, they bought me in the January. Uh, the manager that signed me, Alan Elfin, got sacked two weeks later. Um, and he was the kind of main reason I went to the team. And he, the, kind of, the manager signed the player he wants to play. Um, a new manager came in, Gary Megson, who kind of didn't see eye to eye, didn't go on with. And it was clear no matter what I'd done, I wasn't his type of player. And it was almost kind of last in, first out. Um, and no matter how well I'd done in training, how well I'd done in games that I come on, I was, I was never really going to be a mainstay. And it seemed like my card was marked. So it was Craig Brown again, who I mentioned earlier, that phoned me. And he was at Aberdeen. He says, look, we're, uh, we needed some players, we need a bit of experience. Um, we need somebody to come and kind of stay in the ship and try and help us rebuild. And Aberdeen at the time were a huge club, still a huge club, but really struggling in a bottom six team, um, finishing eighth, ninth in the league. Um, he took me up there on loan for six months and it just, I mean, the, the, and that's the thing for, for kind of footballs. The reason you play football is because you love it. It's a hobby. I mean, if you get paid to do your hobby, you'd fight somebody's arm off for it and kind of went up to Aberdeen and, and fell back in love with playing football again and, and remembered that that's why I done it. And uh, went back again at Sheffield Wednesday and it was a new manager. Um, Again, kind of just I'd been out of the picture too long. He'd been in and, and he'd kind of got his targets and who he wanted to bring in, and uh, it just again just wasn't really working. And I wasn't enjoying being down there and not playing. And uh, phoned Aberdeen went back on loan again for six months. And at the end of that six months, they signed me in a four and a half year deal. Um, and I, I stayed at Aberdeen for eight nine years. Loved it. Loved it up there. Won the league cup. Um, we in Europe pretty much every season. We were Celtic's closest challengers for four or five years. And, and I really enjoyed my football and managed to, to go from an Aberdeen team that was really struggling to, to kind of set in post in Scotland for a long time. And some great, I say, great games, great memories. And, and I really loved my football up there. And um, 
about two, three years ago, um, saying the guys earlier, I, I ruptured my cruciate ligament in my knee, um, playing in a pre-season friendly. It was the last year of my contract, um, last pre-season game, just turned the wrong way, ruptured my cruciate, and that's usually a kind of a 12 to 18-month injury, um, which would see me kind of beyond my contract. And uh, walking up to two unbelievable physios, worked them, who done a lot of work with a guy, Gordon Mackay, who works out of Glasgow and Stirling, um, and he's got this new pioneer knee surgery and uh, called internal brace and uh, he braced my knee and I managed to come back from a ruptured cruciate in four and a half months um, so I was out in the June it wasn't meant to be back until the following kind of June Christmas time I managed to come back in the January um, and just pure coincidence with the reserve team at Aberdeen was meant to play a, a bounce game against Dundee United and uh, the sport director saw my name in the team sheet and phoned me. Um, I'd walked down previously at Motherwell and, and asked me if I wanted to come and loan to Dundee United for six months. And went there six months to try and get them promoted. Um, missed out on that. But again, the same as at Aberdeen, kind of saw the, the groundwork that they'd laid and, and saw a huge team that was kind of struggling and, and really getting good foundations laid to go and do well and signed a three-year deal there. And uh, that's, I've been there kind of two years now. We promoted last year. And, been club captain, um, great, great time there, and again a club that will pick on and, and go on and do what I've been done. So, I that's me from kind of starting at Motherwell right through to, to kind of present day. Was that was there ever a little bit of you that wanted that international cap? Absolutely. I mean, that's I that's probably the biggest biggest regret of my career, not getting that cap. Um, I mean, that's the thing. I, I was in so many squads. I was so close to getting on so many times, but just. Didn't make it. Um, played the game against Gibraltar. Um, and I was thinking, if ever I'm going to get a chance to get on, it's going to be against Gibraltar. I mean, they were I think, the second most rated team in the world at the time. And uh, Don Strang named his squad before the game, and I wasn't on the bench. And he pulled me just after me and says, Look, um, we don't expect to be defended. I'm not going to put any defenders on the bench. We're just going to, we need goals because we need to make the coefficient, which is fine. But it was always just little moments like that. that and I've just conspired against me. So no, it was hugely disappointing to be involved in, in training. I was doing well, competing and doing well enough that I was always getting back, but just never got that bit. So for me, I, I've always been disappointed that I never got that, but still huge amount of pride that I managed to go and kind of do my part and, and still be involved in squads and, and get as close as I did. And you know what I mean? Getting, like, everybody loves their country and everybody jump at the chance to play for them. So for me to go and even be sitting on the bench when we played England at Wembley and Griffith scored the two free kicks. Mm -hmm. I mean, they'd be there as a supporter anyway. They'd be there actually sitting on the bench and be part of it. was huge. So, no, I mean, whether I never got to, to get the actual cap or get on the picture, it's, it's a huge regret. But as I say, still hugely proud that I managed to go and do as much as I did for my country. Absolutely. Still time. Still time, Mark. Hopefully, hopefully. I know there's uh, still got a few years left in me if we get a, a couple more injuries. You, and yeah, you never know I could be in. That's real game of Friday. You know I mean, I'm fit and healthy, so Got yeah. a few ideas there. Meet everybody out there So you you spoke about huge amount of experience you've got there, Mark. Um, so who would you say is players that stand out as maybe the best player that you've played with throughout your career? There's been a couple. I mean, there's uh, I've, I've played with guys who went on and had kind of great careers down in England. Um, John Ruddy was one a goal when it came up um, from Everton at the time. He's now at Wolves. Again, was at Norwich for years. He promoted to the Premiership with them as a guy I still keep in touch with. Um, it's just a great career. One more recently, probably James Madison, who came up on loan yeah. from Norwich. Yeah. He's down. Yeah. I mean, they were quoting him kind of last summer for eighty million to Man United, which yeah. I, I, it was just hugely. Talented. 
the amount of self belief he had was unbelievable. But just could, you, really could you see that straight away then? See when he came in, because he must have been he was really young, wasn't he, when he came up to Aberdeen at that point? Yeah, it was only I mean, I think he was only 18, 19, maybe 19, right. 20, whatever. But he was, I mean, he'd already been, I mean, Norwich bought him for four or five million, I think. So he was still, he was already a multi million pound player, but you could see yeah. in just the quality he had, and as I said, just the, the sheer self belief he had in himself, um, and he just knew how good he was, but again. Just a really nice kid, but I mean, some, I mean, I used to come home and I'd speak to my pals and say about James Madison and do this and he'd do that. And but it doesn't sound like he's a nice kid, but he was like he's just so confident in himself and the way he spoke about himself and what he was going to do. But just as I say, like you, there was nothing you, you didn't really like, not like about him. Um, like for me, I a great player. You can see why he's been down there and done his good, but also a player who was in and out at Aberdeen because we didn't really suit him. And he's been down to England and he's playing in a team that's more free-flowing, more attacking and is built more around his game. Um, another one for me who I rate higher than, than James Madison's Ryan Christie, who's at Celtic just now. Right. I, I, I've said before when I was asked who the best player I played with and I've always said Ryan Christie and I, and I still stand by that. I think Ryan Christie could go down to England and, and light the Premiership up. No, don't say that. Don't, don't say that. No, don't yeah. say that. Uh, I, I, a guy, I mean, I, I, I got on great with Ryan Christie as well. He's, uh, I, I speak to him kind of every other week, um, just chat and keep up with him. As a, a guy, I got on really good when he was in Aberdeen, but a player for me who's got everything um, and on his day is as good as anything I've ever seen. Yeah. So you'd said players then that you played with. Is there any that stand out that you maybe played against? There's a few. I mean, again, as I say, I've, I've had a, I think it's my 15th or 16th year playing, so I've had a few. But I mean, uh, youth, Scott, I played right through with Scotland, right up to kind of under 20s, got a B cap as well. But that they went to the European under 19 final and we played Spain. Uh, Gerard Pique was playing in that team. Right. Again, unbelievable. At that age, I mean, just dominating games. I remember that Zarchi Gemmel was the kind of manager, assistant manager, um, telling our boys up front that. PK was he was a cultural centre back. He liked getting on the ball. He liked popping it about, but he didn't like the rough and tumbles. So just to get in and cement him. And I, I remember those forwards just bouncing off him. And this guy just throwing them about like nothing. And uh, I remember him at half time just like, right, guys, I've no idea what we do against him. <laughs> so he was yeah, he was phenomenal. Um, he played against and, and on the run up to that, we played we played France, and their striker was Karim Benzema. Right who was, again, a guy who's had an unbelievable career. Yeah. And uh, I was, a, I think I was a sub that day, and Stephen Fletcher scored a free kick in the 25th, 30th minute. And uh, we subbed on two defenders. I was one of them just to mark Karim Benzema. We just man-marked him two years out of the game. Because he was, he was the guy that made them tick. Yeah. And, and he was a guy that was incredible. Did you manage to stop him, the two of you? We did die. We the team did die. We just kind of nine men. Just when he got the ball, we just and we won that one nil, and that gets through to the the, uh, the the finals, the group stage, of the finals. It was in I think it was in Poland, and then we went there and, and we uh, we got through to the final of that, and then that qualified us for the the under twenty World Cup in Canada. We went and played that the following year, and we got knocked out in the group stages of that. But um, and that was I mean they were unbelievable experience as well. We go and, and kind of compete at that level with that kind of player, um, and I was lucky enough as well just that. A kind of sheer kind of coincidence, and, and I don't know, just good fortune. We uh, the year that Italy won the World Cup in two thousand six, the uh, their their squads base they played Scotland. I don't know if it was a qualifier or a group stage game of that World Cup, mm -hmm. and their base camp was at Fir Park, 
So they, they paid the for Park to take over, basically take over for Park for the week. They trained in the pitch, used the changing rooms, and we changed the way up. We changed up in the, the stand. And uh, they played Scotland on the Saturday, and they said to the guys at Fort Park, look, we need a, a game for the second 11. Can uh, you sort some out? So I was in under 18 at the time. We played at least second string, or not a second, the 11 that hadn't played on that Saturday. Right. So it was uh, the front three was Giardino, Luca Tony, and Del Piero. <laughs> like 18 years old against guys who are absolute. Beasts, guys who went won the World Cup two months later. Uh, Matarazzi played centre half, um, like just incredible. And from that was probably one of the best games or experiences I've ever had. They, and they beat seven one. Their goal was hugely offside, like <laughs> yards offside. They just let it run. Oh, yeah. uh, and I remember, like, I just guys. I mean, Del Piero was playing. Del Piero set a goal up with a forty yard through ball with his shoulder. Like just popped this ball came a diagonal and he just popped on his shoulder through goal like it was really like, just un- unbelievable and it was just and for me at that age seeing that and seeing that level thinking if you want to do it this is the level you need to get to was incredible and even I mean even over and above the game just the week's training we were lucky enough to be training in and about it and kind of it was full time we used to sit in the stand and watch it and just watching the intensity and the level that they applied themselves at all week every time. They stepped on the pitch, it was goal time, and, and they gave 100%. And I mean, they used to play a game, you probably play head handball, where you throw the ball, and the next guy needs to header it, and the next guy needs to catch it. And we used to play that at training, and it was always about a laugh, and there was no real intensity, and it was just kind of, we used to play it for a bit of fun just to get the boys going. And Italy played this game, and it was something you'd never seen in your life before. The ball was flying about, and they were, they were headering it from 20 to 30 yards into four corners, and you think, like, this is. This is a level that these guys operate at. And again, just for them to go on and win the World Cup after that just showed you that these, this was a squad and a team, the, the absolute pinnacle of the career and just the togetherness. So for me, to play in that game against the guys was, was great. And another funny story at the start of that was when we started the game, we uh, we took centre, passed the ball about the back, put it in the midfield. Our centre mid, Meg Del Piero. Put it out wide. I think I was playing like back, out wide to me. I went down the line, cut it back, and our striker had peeled off and hit it off the crossbar. And you could see their second eleven were warming up at the side of the pitch, and they all kind of stopped. And you could see them thinking, like, what is this team we're playing? Like, these kids are unbelievable. <laughs> I was almost like just poking a bear. Like, after that, we got nowhere near them, and they just, like, just at will, just moved this ball about. Like, as I say, it was like a different game, but an unbelievable learning experience for an 18 year old. Yeah. Uh, Mark, you've, you've touched on so far a, a lot of highlights in your career. Um, if you were to pick perhaps maybe one or two, what, what ones stand out for you most? Um, I think, well, most recently, obviously, the promotion with Under United. Was, I mean, that was, that was the reason why I left Aberdeen. Um, again, I loved my time at Aberdeen. I, um, I was lucky enough to win a League Cup, which was probably the second highlight of my career. Kind of winning a trophy, a national trophy. Went to it was at the time when Hamden was shot. We went to Parkhead and, and Aberdeen took 40,000 fans. Oh, yeah. And we, uh, we got the trophy back to Aberdeen and did a parade down Union Street and there were 100,000 people there. It was incredible. Just a great a great occasion. It was a, a city that was a team that was kind of building momentum and we won that trophy and kind of a, a city falling back in love with the team and back in love with football and kind of the start of Aberdeen's kind of march on to become more dominant in Scottish football. So that would be a highlight. But I recently, the, obviously, with the coronavirus, it wasn't as, as good as it could have been. But yeah. the promotion with Dundee United, um, 
a kind of as a more experienced player and when you're younger you just kind of go with the flow you just turn up and you just play football and you just love playing football and you just love winning and it's just uh, it's just everything for you it's, it's just going with your pals and just having a good time and it's just as basic as that and when you get older you start stepping back and looking at things and start seeing different parts of a kind of jigsaw that probably fall into place and different things that need to happen and, and uh, I was lucky enough to come to Dundee United with Tony Ashgar as a sporting director and I was with he I worked many years ago, he was an agent and uh, he represented me for a couple of, took me down to Sheffield Wednesday and uh, a guy that I had a huge amount of respect for and got on great with and had a great relationship with and he was one that, that kind of brought me to Dundee United and, and sold me that dream of this is where the club's at, this is where we want to be, this is how we're going to get there, here's how we're going to do it and we, we want you to be a part of that and, and here's what your role in that's going to be. So yeah. going there and, and kind of knowing that we had to play well and had to get promotion that it wasn't just a we would like to be promoted it was a we need to go up like and kind of dealing with that pressure and everything that went along with it and, and as captain and, and been brought in for that sole purpose to, to kind of get that realised was, was a huge moment in my career and, and something that I'll always kind of look back on very fondly and, and a huge amount of pride. Brilliant, brilliant. Obviously we high points that sometimes become some setbacks and low points and um, can you recall any of those and, and maybe how Tell us how you responded from that. No, definitely. There's loads. There has been loads, and that's the thing with, with, with football. There is that the, kind of the end you speak to it. Those are hugely amplified, and, and the highs are, are unbelievable. And I think there's a lot of talk about footballers after football developing gambling problems or drinking problems or, or other problems, and, and people always comes down to kind of just chasing that high. And, and there is no better feeling than winning and uh, and just celebrating and, and just that sheer joy and. Just to love it of doing what you love and, and getting a chance to win. So, and the other side of that, as you say, there is just the lows, which can be can be devastating for some guys. And I mean, I'm lucky enough to, to kind of be sort of so mind enough that I've dealt with them fine and got on with them, and, and you see, used them as a kind of building block to try and make myself stronger. But I mean, if the whole kind of Sheffield Wednesday um, would be a pretty much a low point for me in, in terms of. Went down there, had a couple of clubs interested, and that was kind of the best options for me at the time. Um, I'd, I'd done all my due diligence, and at the time it was the best option. Obviously, looking back and you think maybe I should have done that. I went there, but with the options I had in front of me, that was wasn't. And if I had to do it again, I would still do that, and that would still be the move I make. But just the time where, no matter what I'd done, I, I kind of couldn't just break in. I couldn't get my chance, and. I kind of felt almost out, out my hands, you no know, matter what I'd done. I just couldn't get that wee break or that bit of, rock, that bit of luck that I needed to just go and have a run in the team. And ultimately, just had to step back and, and kind of come back up to Scotland and, and rebuild my career. Um, but also, I mean, injuries as well. Uh, something that, I mean, you're, you're uh, a footballer is only as good as, as his body is as stand up to injuries. And I was lucky enough at the start of my career to, to um, go five, six, seven seasons without getting anything serious. Um, and then I ruptured my shoulder playing for Aberdeen in, the, in Europe, Macedonia. I put striker back into him and I was over the top of the header and ruptured my AC joint and was out for four months. And, and football's kind of you're a bit of commodity. You're only as good when you're available to play. And you kind of, when you're not playing, you kind of fade into the background. And yeah. It's almost just you and the, and the physio. And it just comes down to almost your mental toughness to get, to get back from that. So I've ruptured my shoulder and then come back from that and started to get going then. I got a double hernia, um, tore my stomach, so I come back from that, and then literally just kind of a couple of years ago, ruptured my cruciate in my knee, which is probably the, the biggest setback and the kind of the biggest challenge I've had to overcome in my career. Um, kind of 
said one at the time last year in my contract. Need to play and then do well to try and force a move. Um, I'll be trying to get an extra year at Aberdeen and um, brought to Matushin. As I say, at the time it's a it's an eighteen month injury, and it, it kind of you're, you're left wondering where you're going to be. And for me, it was just a time to kind of take stock and just focus a hundred percent on the rehab and, and use that setback as something to kind of kick forward and springboard off. And, and as I say, it, it turned out being the best thing that happened to me. Um, managed to get back in four and a half months. The, the timing was perfect to go to Dundee United and yeah, I, I went on to, to go and get a three-year deal at Dundee United at 32. Um, captain was something that I couldn't, couldn't have dreamed of. I think if I hadn't got injured, I don't think that would have happened. Um, but then the deal at Aberdeen just sitting on the bench for years. So, yeah, probably just, uh, as I say, the Sheffield, go to Sheffield and kind of all the, the, the kind of stuff that came with that and then just the, the injuries that a lot of players deal with. And for some players, it ultimately cost them their career and they need to stop. And uh, for me, it was lucky enough that it was things that, that I didn't let define me and, and managed to kind of use to, to strengthen me and, and, and kick me on. Excellent, excellent. Definitely. Um, my next question then, Mark's about initiations, right? If you can recall any. Now, just want to remind you, this is a, a school podcast, so it needs to be PG. Absolutely, absolutely. That was, I, I saw the initiations and then I saw the PG bit and uh, I think... <laughs> We always put that in bold just before, that, just so people I know. Got that. Um, no, no, I, I mean, that thing that the, the YT, I mean, Tom Smith, who you know as well, was uh, on the YT with me, and, and people always say school days are the best days of your life and enjoy them and blah, blah, blah. But for me, the YT, the youth, like the YT, the YT is kind of the trainee scheme you go on for the two years. <laughs> for me, that was the best years of my life, and I still I still speak to dads when I see him, I still keep in touch with the message. And, there's probably 14 or 15 years of the fruit that are still in touch. We still go nights out. We still uh, we still stay together and just a bond that we made. That was, I mean, we were a very successful youth team. We uh, finished runners up in the league to Celtic two years with good runs in the cup, and we were we we're just always in each other's pocket. We we're just we went holiday together. We all went and nights out. I mean, we used to have nights out together, and, and you'd speak to boys in your Scotland squads. They were going a night out with their team, and there'd be three or four of them there. We were going a night out, and there'd be 17 players there. And it was just like that was just the, the kind of group of boys that I had. And uh, yeah, load, I mean, we got up to loads again, loads of stuff that is not PG. Some of it, I mean, some of this, and a lot of it was just stuff that that boys do. And like stuff that my kids come home and told me to do that at school, they'd get sent to their room. <laughs> with no, no fortnight for a week. But like, I mean, we used to, one, for example, we were in the, the YT, as we call it, the youth trainingship scheme, or whatever it, its official title was, we were on that. Um, and we used to back in the day that it was you were just kind of the skiffy, the dog's body for the whole stadium. And then before me, but they used to paint, they used to paint the stands, and they used to lay the pitch. And then by the time it got to me, and all the older pros used to tell me, "Oh, he painted the stands, and he did any glass." Bore off, like I don't care. And now I'm saying that to the younger boys on the YT Dundee United. I said, "How the YT used to wash the kit?" <laughs> but we used to do it like. When the first team left, we used to wash the stadium, clean the changing rooms, get all the kit away, like clean all the water bottles, um, clean all the kit, all the cones and the bibs and the balls from training. And uh, it would just be like, and I mean, like we'd clean the floor, like none of us knew how to clean. We're seventeen-year-old boys, so we'd just give us like a tub of bleach and we'd just fire it in a bucket, and not <laughs> clean the floor of it. Like, and it, well, it smells clean, it'll be fine. And uh, we used to, I don't, I don't know how well you know the layout of the Fort Park, but there's a change rooms in a big tunnel. We used to, it was mock days, but the, 
the head of you for the Elton Christmas Cart, who's at Celtic now, he used to, if we were late or knocking about, he would leave us and go with his kids to school. Just as like a punishment, he would just leave normal, drive to Bordeaux, we'll get his kids, take them home, get them set, then come back, and we would just have to sit and wait. He would check with all the jobs we've done with satisfactory standard and then let us go home. So sometimes we would just, as I say, just daft laddies, we would clean the floor, like soap up and that, and we'd just play like human skittles. Like we'd all just stand and we'd just bowl somebody along the floor. We're all soaked up. Like, or, uh, we'd, we'd soak the floor up and we'd be changing room, the away changing room in Fort Park. There's no natural light, there's no windows. So we turn the lights out, it's pitch black. We used to soak the floor up and everybody would stand on the on the benches and then we'd just turn the lights out and it would just be a free-for-all, just a royal rumble in the dark and we'd just launch stuff and like the broken bones, broken noses, blood, like just chaos. And it was just like, it was just a laugh every day. Brilliant. And it was just, I just stuff like that. I mean, that's obviously the only stuff. I mean, even like we, uh, the one that we used to, we used to have to go to college as well. Or they brought up, we used to bring a lecturer into the club on a Tuesday. Tuesday or Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday because that was our day off. And uh, he would come in and give us college work to do, to get an NDQ or a HNC or whatever it is, and sports something, sports coaching or whatever. And it was just absolute chaos. And it was a guy, Jim Griffin, who played for Motherwell, so he kind of knew what we were like and we got away with absolute murder. But one day we, uh, we found uh, the cupboard for the stewards, keep all the steward equipment. And uh, you know the megaphone that they speak into? We found them, and there was 15 of them, and we laid them, I don't know if you've seen it at the Simpsons, we laid them at NPN, and like it's like a big, a big train of megaphones. We were just shouting at people doing the street with all these megaphones, like chaos, uh, like causing absolute chaos. Found walkie-talkies. Um, one match they found a walkie-talkie, one of the boys found a police walkie-talkie, and uh, in the changing room, and he sh- just picked it up as you do, and it was just shouting, code red in the changing room, code red in the <laughs> 30 seconds later, three policemen just come busting in the door <laughs> looking for the code red. And it's just like, just cause, just like nothing bad, but just aye, chaos. Carry on. Aye, just any can't you get back to it again. The, uh, the Chris McCartan, he, he kind of loved that because we were all in it together and it was all like team spirit and kind of a team that does that together is more inclined to be successful in the pitch and have each other's back. So, Aye, if, uh, and once if you, once you go off live, I, I can tell you a few ones that you can't remember. Don't tell the kids. Ellie, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's back to you. Uh. Yeah. Um, do you have any like mental preparations before a game, like the night before, or in the changing room to get you ready for the match? So I so I almost kind of my mental preparation is almost kind of opposite of the mental preparation and, and routine and habit, and I, I try not to have anything. I try not to have a specific thing I need to do or a specific meal I need to have or a specific amount of sleep because I always think if you don't do it, then you're at a disadvantage right away. If you're thinking, I never, I mean, but a boy's boy, Adam Mooney, who's down in England now, who's at Aberdeen, used to have so many, had to be last out of the changing room before the game and at half time. We did, we did times, one game, I broke my nose um, and it wouldn't stop bleeding. And uh, it turned out uh, the, the kind of artery in my nose had nicked with the bone and they couldn't stop it. So he had to wait. He waited for five minutes in the changing room while I was getting my nose tended because he couldn't go onto the pitch before I went on the pitch. So I was I was always the opinion that I don't do anything. It's just well, until I get in. But obviously, you're kind of getting ready mentally for the game. But in terms of pre-match meals, needing to sleep, needing to have your left boot on before your right boot or a certain pair of boots and a certain pair of shinies. 
for me, it was just always once you got on the pitch and you start warming up, then you just start thinking about the game because up until that point, anything could happen. And I didn't want to go into the game thinking, oh, I missed that or I missed this. So for me, it was always just kind of just doing what you're doing. And as long as you got on the pitch and you feel ready, then it should be great. What you, what you, so seeing the warm-up, what, what are you thinking about? And that might sound a daft question, but are you thinking about, if you're up against a, a Morelos or an Edward, you're thinking about their movement, or are you thinking about working with the back four? I think a bit, for, for me now, kind of, as I say, it changes when, from when you're a younger pro to you're, you're a kind of senior pro and the captain. Um, for me, we, we do a lot of work through the week, so you know kind of the, the patterns of play that they're going to play, you know how we're going to play to counteract that. We have meetings every kind of, every other day in terms of what we're going to do and how the weaknesses or how we can exploit them or again the strengths how they like to play we'll get kind of individual player profile sent to us and get clips sent to us in the past four or five games and um, i mean in the warm-up it's more just about getting your body and make sure you feel right and getting it's kind of stretched off right and getting up to match speed and, and being ready when the whistle goes to go um, and, and again, as a senior player, I mean, there's, there's, at the club now, there's me, Callum Butcher, and probably Mark Conley, who are the more experienced players. And just make sure that the boys are kind of in a good headspace and, and thinking about the game ahead and just make sure they know their jobs. Even things like set pieces, if there's boys get certain jobs, and for me, you kind of you know who you're picking up. You know who's, if they bring an extra guy in the box, or you need to know who the spare marker is for that. You need to know kind of setting up walls and stuff and just how the, the back four going to play. I've got Jamie Robson who plays outside me, just keep them in their ears and, and reminding them. Again, just remind them that they're good players for, for, I mean, for us, but we're just in the league and there's boys who haven't been in it before or haven't been in it for a few years. And just reminding them how good they are. I mean, the wee boy Lewis Nielsen's only 17, 18, just going into the team and just things like, you know, making sure he's all right, making sure that he's kind of getting warm, getting ready, and knows his jobs and kind of just reminding them that he's as good as, as you know what I mean, he's good enough to be here. and just to go and enjoy the game and, and kind of do his best and, and that'll be more than enough. So it's just that I just getting kind of more for me getting physically ready and just making sure there's a good thing. It's, it sounds weird but you can, you can feel you can feel the energy off the team you can feel the kind of the general vibe of the change of them and, and you can yeah. feel the boys are ready and the boys are focused and if there's an, enough intensity in, in the warm-up there's enough intensity in the passing drills and the possession and if there's not it's just about getting that intensity there and, and making sure boys are focused. Okay. Yeah. So you've been involved in loads of successful teams since we spoke about youth days and then obviously the last couple of years with Dundee United. What would you say makes a successful team? I think it's just having players that, that understand that the team's more important than the individual. I think that's the big thing. Um, I think even any successful player at any level that's been in a successful team, that the team uses that player to their advantage. It's not the other way about. Um, I don't know if there's a film um, called Miracle about the, the American ice hockey team. I don't know if you saw that. No. Uh, uh, the guy talks about how the, the kind of failures of the all-star, American all-star teams are because they use the kind of individual talent to try and win rather than using that individual talent for the betterment of the team. Yeah. And I think any team I've been involved in that's successful, it's always that everybody understands the, the goal and everybody understands that they're a part, they're, they're a cog in that machine and, and they all play a part in the getting to that one goal. So, it's, it's, and again, it's things like just kind of harming and changing room, having a good changing room, having good boys. And I, I, I speak to managers before, and as I say, that's 15, 16 years in the game. And managers that speak to who say, like, they don't sign players, they sign people. And it, it's more about having good people in your changing room rather than good players. Yeah. And a, a great player who's not the right type of person, 
and that can completely throw the, the team out of balance. Even just now, it done the United, Tony Ashgar, the sporting director, who takes a lot to do with the, the signings and stuff, is, is really keen on finding out how boys are fitting in, what, what they're like in the changing room, how they fit in with the culture we've got. Because um, it, it only takes one or two people not to be kind of on the same, the same page as you, to really throw everything off. And if you can have a strong enough culture and you can have a, a core group of players that are all pushing in the same direction with the same kind of attributes and the same values, then it's easier for people to buy in and it's harder to be almost the same voice. And again, that was something that we managed to, to cultivate at Aberdeen, with a core group of players that once you get that core group of players all pushing in the same direction, the players you bring in, it's either you buy into it or you, you can then just get both out on the sidelines. And yeah. it's something, again, that this building at Dundee United, we've got a great group of boys. I mean, that's, and that's, that's the thing I always joke about the young boys and the boys who come in and, that's always say that that's my test for a change in them. That we usually we usually stay overnight for away games, and I always say if you if you get a change in our boys, you don't need to ask who you want to share a room with, because there's nobody you need to avoid. Then you've got a good change in them. Get a change in our boys, and if you guys got the manager saying I don't want to share a room with him, but well, can I go with him? So I don't go with him. Then you're in trouble. But if you get a change in our boys, so nobody revolves and have the land with are fine. Then. It's a decent change room, and, and I was lucky enough to have that Aberdeen, and, and, and even luckier now to have a change room like that at Dundee United. Yeah, good, good sign. Um, before we, we go to your, your finisher, Matt, we're looking for some advice for any young aspiring footballers or athletes. What would, what would be your advice for them? I know it's a, that's a question we always get asked, and it's hard because there's, there is there's so many things, and there's so many different aspects, and there's so many different paths to go down. and but um, for me, it's it's always been kind of the first one and the first and most important for me is enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Like you only get one shot at it, you don't get a do over. So enjoy it. Make sure you're doing something you enjoy. But then on the back of that, it sounds almost counterintuitive. Get used to suffering. It's going to be hard. It's going to be horrible. And there's going to be times you think I'm not enjoying this, but you need to go through that to get the good times and to get that enjoyment and the love of it. And I think that's the thing that most people. Or don't not don't understand but it gets in we kinda of can't we can't almost hold that double thought of enjoying it but also suffering. But if it was easy and everybody could do it then it wouldn't be, you know what I mean? It wouldn't be worth doing. So yeah, definitely the day two and, and, and just work hard. The, 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 not the easiest thing you can do because working hard is working hard, but you don't need any, you don't need anything to work hard to turn up and give hundred percent whatever you can and and that's the big thing as well, as a more experienced player speak to young boys, 100% doesn't mean you're always at your best. It just means that you're giving as much as you can at that moment. Some days it might not be good enough. Some days you might be away thinking, you know, I can be a lot better than that. But as long as you've gave all you can on that day, then you can't ask any more. And, and you can go to your bed at night knowing that, look, I gave up and I got it. It didn't go well, but tomorrow's a new day and we'll kick on from there. So, you know, day three things, I kind of, I think if you, if you can get a handle on the three of them, but... As you get older, the, the biggest one for me is just enjoying it and realising. I think that's something that a lot of people are forgetting now, especially in culture today. When, I mean, I was lucky enough to, to grow up when there was no social media, really, and you could just go home and get away from things. But it's now it's constant, even after games. And we get battled at the weekend, therefore, now. Um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everybody telling you how bad you are, how you're terrible, you never kick a ball a game. And, you can't get away from that. I'm lucky enough that it doesn't really bother me. Like I'm old enough to know, and but there's there's people that that affects, and that takes away from their enjoyment. Mm-hmm. So for me, just make sure uh, you're enjoying it as much as you can because it's, it goes in a blink and eye. And I used to laugh when the, uh, the experienced players used to say that to me at, at football. Oh, I've played those so quick, and now I'm sitting 
where they sat, saying the same like young boys, and I keep saying, I know you're sitting thinking, it's all rubbish, but it's, it's the truth. Great message. See, just before we go to the, the finisher, can I just ask one last question? Just, I'd read that you're involved, Mark, with is it the Project Encourage Literacy? I was, I just when it was. How, I, how did that come about? That was at Model. Just again, just I mean, it's lucky enough as a footballer, you, you kind of get put into the spotlight, and kids look up to you. I mean, the same. My, my two boys are at school, and, and kids will come up all the time and speak away to me and chat away. And, my oldest one's old enough now to understand why that is. My, my youngest boy's in P1, and, and every time they leave, he always says, how do you know him? How do you know him, Dad? I'm like, I don't. <laughs> just, he just knows me. Yeah. So it's just a, it was just a chance to use that profile to kind of try and encourage um, kids to do something more positive. Um, and yeah, it was, it was kind of something the SPFL were running, and, and they needed kind of ambassadors for it. And somebody who enjoyed reading, enjoyed books, and something that I, I could kind of lend my profile out to give it a bit more credibility with, with kids who, who just idolise football. So yeah. uh, it's something that, as again, it's it's, uh, it's a bit of time and as Craig Brown always says, we've got plenty of it, so yeah. we may as well use it for something good. Brilliant. Yeah. Great project. Okay, Mark, so, you, so this is your finisher and we're looking for you to create the Mark Reynolds Select. All right. We're yeah. looking to create a five-a-side team of players that you've played, played with currently or previously. Who would they be and why? I know that's a tough one. There's a few. Like, I mean, the goal the goalie department's probably my toughest because I've got a few very good friends and very good goalies that played. And the thing for me is the best players like it's it's going to be skewed. I'll need to explain a wee bit of the the kind of the rating system. Because <laughs> if if I like you, if you're my pal in football and I keep touch you, then you're a much better player. Like that automatically bumps you up a good few points. Even if you're hopeless, <laughs> if you keep touching me, you're always a good player. So uh, I mean. I'll kick off with my, kind of, my most creative player I've spoken about earlier, Ryan Christie. I say, for me, he's the best player I've played with. Um, and again, played with a, week, a couple of weeks ago there, one of the best players I've played against. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when he came on to Aberdeen, I remember th thinking at the time, like, I mean, even though I was just psychologically Celtic sending him to us, as a, he's not good enough to make our squad just now, so we're sending out and loan. And watching him train, thinking, if he's that good and he can't get anywhere near Celtic's first team, then they're on a different level. But as it turned out, it was more a move for him just to get experience and, and almost a move just for him to strengthen us and keep Rangers at bay. And uh, you know what I mean? Keep us as a second team in Scotland for as long as they could and, and Ryan Christie to kind of be a big part in doing that. And for me, he's a guy who has got everything you need to play at the top, top level. And uh, I, I, again, as well, as I said there, a guy who just has a great guy and somebody I speak to regularly and uh, enjoy playing against and enjoy winding up and enjoy trying to smash him when I get the chance. <laughs> so he'll be, uh, he's a number one player. Let him know i get a podcast mark as well. <laughs> I'll do, I'll see if I can get him on it for you. He's, he's, uh, he'll, he'll be a good guy to talk to as well, although he's, uh, he, he likes to keep himself out of the media and do his talking on the pitch. Ah, quite right, quite right. Um, I'm trying to think who else against him with. I mean, if it's is it against and with, aye. Anything, anything you want. Again, another one I, I've, that attacked on again that I mentioned earlier with Del Piero. Yeah. He was kind of the first almost poster boy type football that I had any real life experience with. And at the time, he was uh, he was like a superstar, like a world superstar. And again, I sat and watched that World Cup. And they went on to win it. The guys who you played against and, I mean, tested yourself against and these guys went on and were the, the greatest team in the world at that time. So 
that he would definitely make it as well. And then obviously, I'm going to put myself in it, and for a five or six days. So I don't know where I'll play, but I'll just be in there just getting the morale up and getting boys going. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I know, I, I made a goal, and there's a few, I mean, Aberdeen, when I was at Model, obviously, John Ruddy, who I still keep in touch with, and he's been on to have a great career, and was, again, a goalie who came up from England and was just an absolute colossus of a guy and found some unbelievable performances. Um, his first game, we played Stoutbrook Arrest in Europe, and I think he saved a penalty and was just immense in the kind of first real goal that you're thinking, like, this guy will go to the top level. And then again, and then after he left, Dan Randolph in at Mother, who's now at West Ham, another very, very good goalie. Um, a great guy as well. Actually, he was up. He was up. They were up training at St Andrews, where we trained last week. So I caught up with him as well. And then Aberdeen, Jamie Langfield, who was a, a kind of pub legend up there, played for loads of years and was a goalie when we won the league cup. And then guy Danny Wall came in. Um, you so, have a five-a-side team with all goalies, goal. Bryson, is it? <laughs> and I like the goalies because they're all usually daft. They're all usually like parties that are a great laugh. So. But I think, to be fair, I think I'll, I think I'll go with it. the original big goalie, John Ruddy, who, as I say, I still keep in touch with him, going holiday when he's kind of like, watched his kids grow up and stuff. So, just for, for being, but, and, and to be fair, he uh, he done a, a best 11 he's ever played to be on Sky Sports. Right. And he put, he put me in at left back. <laughs> he played with Chidville and all that, and like Baines and all that. And the, the two guys on Sky were just looking like, who? <laughs> so, I need to repay him in some way and say that nah, he was, he was uh, very good and a guy who and again I was meant to go on his stag do that he can't do because he got called up for England squad and got his first English cap so a guy who's I mean you, you, if you represent England full international then you've got to have a bit of something so yeah. we'll stick him in as well is that four I've got? You need a goal scorer back of the net and again, another guy who gets bonus points just for being my mate and being mental, but Adam Rooney at Aberdeen is uh, mm-hmm. I, I, the goal with the word goal scorer, a guy who had nothing like wasn't, you know what I mean, wasn't the biggest, the quickest, the strongest, the best link up player, but put him in a box or put him anywhere near the goal and he scored for fun. Yeah. And he just had that knack of finding it. And you get when you were playing with him and had him in your team, you just kinda get used to him playing. And I, and again, I mean a guy who will, I'll stick on the southern bench is Long Shanklin, who now at, at, at Dundee United, in a similar vein. But for me, Shanks is a bit more mobile and he's link up playing that. But again, a guy that just scores goals. And if, if you've got a striker and, and all you can say about him is he just scores, then you're on to a winner. So I will stick Rooney in with an honourable mention for Shanks on the bench. I'm no, I'm no way to mix things, but he never included you in his three five or six team. Who was that? Yeah, so I'm I'm Daddy, right, he, he kids on his play, but he's been in Scotland and that, hasn't he? Ah, so he was, that. Was, was a Scotland select, I think. That's unbelievable. He wears, his, he wears his cap into training. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he was trying to kid on to us that he had it in the cupboard and he's not taken it out since he got it. <laughs> we used to have Zoom calls. I used to have it on in the Zoom calls all the time. <laughs> the sun, sun was going out of his eyes. Oh, boy. All right. So, no, that's us. Robin, thank you very much. No, no worries. Absolutely excellent. No, no problem. Thank you. So, videos will be, as usual, on YouTube, and you can find um, the link to that through at BishyP on Twitter. Thank you very much for joining us again. John, Mark, and Ellie. Thanks again.
See you later. See you later. Bye-bye. Cheers.